So it's so good to be able to um, dig into uh, Nehemiah these uh, autumn mornings uh, as, we, uh, as we study this book together, all about rebuilding and rebuilding the walls. And um, today is all about, I'm going to be looking at chapter 7 and 8 with you, more, more 8 than 7. Uh, 7 is a long list of names which I couldn't find a way to preach on. <laughs> um, but um, 7 and 8, and uh, I would like particularly to read uh, chapter, chapter 8 for you. Today is all about Ezra reading the word of God to the people, so we've, we've got to at least do that. Um, so this is uh, chapter 8 of Nehemiah. Um, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, and uh, this is around October time, actually, if you read certain other versions, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and beside him on his right stood 13 of the Levites, whose names I'm not going to try and pronounce. And Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord and the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And on the second day of the month, the heads of all of the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles and palms and shade trees, to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, 
and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until this day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. And day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. And they celebrated the feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So we've been following Nehemiah and his people as the walls of Jerusalem are completed. And Nehemiah puts government in place in chapter 7. He appoints various people, Hanani and Hananiah and others, to govern the people. He puts structures in place. And the structure and the organization are in place for what happens next. And what happens next is revival. The people are revived. There's a gathering of God's people here that we read about in chapter 8 with a unified purpose, with a restoration of the word of God at the center of the community and a responsiveness and an obedience to it. And we listen to this story as we follow in in chapter 8. Now the walls and the gates and the structures that we've watched being built and even the organization of the people and the governmental structures that Nehemiah puts in place are not an end in themselves. They, They created a space and a place where community could be built and where God could be enthroned and worshiped and his word preached and revival could break out. And we are such a community. And we've read in the past weeks from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as you come to him, he is the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, that's Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a resurrection community that we are in that is built around Jesus, who is the cornerstone, the the living stone that some people rejected. And we have not, like Nehemiah, we've not physically rebuilt a city or rebuilt walls or put gates on hinges. But we are living stones being built together for a place where God lives. And we are built around Jesus who is the cornerstone. So Jesus said about himself, when we look at this destroyed temple and the destroyed walls of Jerusalem that Nehemiah addressed, Jesus said of himself, he said, destroy this temple (coughs) and in three days (coughs) I will raise it up again. What, they exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. So Jesus didn't rebuild a physical temple like this one in Nehemiah and physical walls. But Jesus said, this body which you will seek to destroy, it will be raised again in three days. It will become the foundation stone for the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And we are living stones being built around this cornerstone Jesus who is the center of it all. 
We are living stones, but we are damaged stones, as we read previously about the burned stones that were used to rebuild these walls. We are damaged stones. We are burned stones. We are stones of different shapes and sizes. Well, we are built around our cornerstone, Jesus, to be a house where God lives. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. And yes, we need well-organized structures, and we need good governance, and we need God-fearing and faithful and integral leaders. But that's not enough. That's not the end in itself. That is the means to the end. We too need revival. We too need to be revived. We too need to gather around the proclaimed word of Christ. And we need to be moved to weep and to be filled with joy. And we need to proclaim it to the surrounding towns and villages. And we too need an outbreak of the joy of the Lord, which is what will strengthen us. So let's see what happens to this ancient community as they are revived, as they have this great convocation. And what we can learn from them for our day and our situation, for we too need to be revived. The first thing that I see in this chapter is a unity of purpose. In chapter 8 verse 1, when the seventh month came, October, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. The people assembled as one man, or more gender-neutral versions say as one person, with unified purpose, we read elsewhere. The phrase reminded me immediately as I read it of Philippians 1.27, which says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It's the same phrase as one man, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. There was and there is a unity of purpose. We're given two instructions here in Philippians 1.27. First of all, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And secondly, contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. I've said on a number of occasions here that we are not here because we all have the same skin color. We are not here because we all come from the same socioeconomic backgrounds. We are not here because we all have the same level of education or we share the same levels of prosperity. We are not here because we're the same age or we have the same political views or because we are all naturally friends and choose each other's company and affiliation. We are here because we are members of the family of God and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are one body and we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and we are to contend as one man, as one person for that gospel of Jesus Christ. And we read here in Nehemiah, all the people assembled as one man in the square 
before the water gate. And this is what we need. And this is what revival looks like. And the second thing that I see here in this passage is the centrality of the word of God. In 8 verse 1, they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The Torah, the book of the law, the Pentateuch, uh, is, occurs nine times in this chapter. It's mentioned nine times. The people say, bring out the book. And when God has moved in the past, in revivals, the book, the Bible, the word of God has come to the fore again. 500 years ago in Germany, God moved on the hearts of men like Melanchthon and Zwingli and, and Luther and Calvin, who began again to carry a torch for the word of God to be preached to every man and woman and child and to be made available to everyone. And not just to a few who could read Latin or a few who were in the priesthood and who had special access to this book. But the work of the Reformation and the work of these men was to take this book and to make it available. And this Reformation caused an absolute outbreak across Europe. The stiff formalism of empty religion was replaced with living, vibrant Christianity. With the people having access to and understanding the Bible in their own language. And Reformation followed. And not too many years later in Scotland, there was a man called John Knox. He was a fiery preacher and a writer. And Mary, the Queen of Scots, said of him, I fear his tongue and his pen more than the armies of England. He read and he preached God's word fearlessly. And he mobilized the people of Scotland in what became known as the Scottish Revival. And then there were the Wesley brothers. In their 50 years of preaching, John delivered 40,000 sermons. You think you've heard enough of mine. 40,000 sermons. 225,000 miles he traveled, mainly on horseback. His brother Charles left the church a legacy of 8,000 hymns, many of which we still sing today, including as we come up to Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. A Bible that people could understand and a hymnal that they could sing from Luther said, if, I give, if, if we have these two things, we will let them loose and the fire will spread all on its own. A, a Bible, a word, the word of God that people can understand, a hymnal that they can sing. And this is what happened in Nehemiah's day. The centrality of the word of God again came to the fore. And it wasn't enough to be well ordered and it wasn't enough to be well organized. The people needed something more. And they cried out, bring out the book. And last week, Steve Ball, our regional leader, spoke of meditating again on the word of God and, and guarding our hearts for it as the wellspring of life. And he talked to us about reading it and speaking it out and repeating it and praying it and living it. He talked about ingesting and imbibing God's word and, and guarding our heart. And as the people here in chapter 8 of Nehemiah call for the book, and revival breaks out. There are certainly some lessons that we can learn too from them as they engage with the word of God. The first, the first thing that I see them doing is, is they, they read it to state the obvious. 
verses 2 and, two and 3. So on the first day of the seventh month, <coughs> Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And then we read in verse 18, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. And they celebrated the feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. There's a reading here of scripture. First of all, on the Sabbath, on the first day, to the gathered people. And then there's also, we read towards the end of the chapter, there's daily reading. Day by day, Ezra read the Bible to them, read the word of God to them. And I want to say to you today that there is something really very important and powerful about the proclaimed word of God among God's gathered people. The weekly pattern of coming aside and listening to the public reading and proclamation of God's word is an essential part of our faith and our spiritual growth. It's what we do here every week. It is the first day of the week. It is the Sabbath day of the week. And we come to gather around God's word. The people assembled and they listened to God's word. These two facts are very important. They're vital. They're life-giving. They are fundamental. And David has reminded us of the book of uh, Hebrews and the command of scripture. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Weekly public gathering around God's word and daily reading of it are both so important if we are to grow and flourish in our faith. We need both. We need to gather as God's people around worship and around God's word. There's something very powerful about that. And there was something very denuding and very debilitating about the time and the period that we could not gather together. There is something about the gathering of God's people around the word of God as one person that is vital to our faith. It's why I think people are so misled when they say, I can be a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is to be a Christ follower and to be part of God's body and to be one of these living stones that's being built together around the cornerstone of Jesus as a place where God lives and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God does something sometimes and through his proclaimed word. And sometimes it is the word in season that we need. So we are to read God's word. And Ezra publicly read the word of God from daybreak until noon. But he also read it with them daily. And we need that too. And, and I think Steve was encouraging us last week to get back to that pattern again of reading God's word daily and imbibing it. The second thing I see here about the centrality of God's word is the people are revived as they come together before the water gate, is that they are attentive to God's word and they are worshipful in their reception of it. Look at verse 3, which says, um, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as 
he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And then verses 5 to 7, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. There was a reverence for the word of God. And even as they read it, they all stood to listen to the word of God being read. And then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, the people's reception here of the word of God was one of worship. It was one of attentiveness. They listened attentively to the word of God. Do you ever, do you ever come to church? Do you ever read your Bible and kind of think, oh, can't be bothered? Or checking out uh, Facebook in the service or playing Scrabble or doing whatever you do. But are we, do, we come, do we come and listen attentively for what God is saying? Do we respond worshipfully? When we're at home and we open our Bible, maybe with a cup of coffee or we sit in our favorite chair or at the breakfast table or whatever, we open our Bible, do we think that actually we are coming to God and these are the very words of God and these are the very oracles of God or do we think, oh, I've got to do my daily Bible reading, take it off, read a couple of pages, get to work. And, and there is that attentiveness, that worshipful reception of the word of God. We used to take the kids to youth camp when we were youth pastors. And at the time, Glyn Barrett, who's now the, the leader of Assemblies of God, but he was leading these youth camps. And he made the youth do something which I thought was great. Every, every time we opened the Bible... He, he had the kids cheer and, and holler and shout and clap. And with, he would always say, when you hear the phrase, we are now going to open the Bible, all the kids, he said, cheer, shout, whoop. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> we are now opening the Bible. And uh, they used to do this at youth camp. And I thought it sent such a good message. You know, sometimes in youth work, we excuse the Bible bit. <laughs> Oh, we do the fun bits and we've got a bit of Bible teaching now. But that kind of attitude that we are now going to read God's word. Yes! <laughs> Amazing! Amen and amen! And that sense of excitement. God is going to speak to us now. God's got words for us. Words of comfort and encouragement and exhortation and sometimes correction. But that ex excitement... This is God's very word. These are the very oracles of God. And the people listened attentively. What is God going to say to me today? And I encourage you, when, whether you're listening here in this context or reading the Bible for yourself at home, to start to nurture that sense of awe and worship. They bowed down and they worshiped God. They stood up to hear the reading of God's word. Because these are the very holy words of God. There was an awe in the place. There was a receptiveness in the place. There was a humility in their receptiveness of it. And sometimes we're so lackadaisical in our reception of God's word. And sometimes we signal that perhaps with our body posture. Or sometimes it could be helpful to us. Not, not all of us are note takers. But to take notes, to write down key points, to revisit the passage go to your community group and apply it to our lives. There's that sense of uh, 
of awe and worship that is, is in the reception of God's word that brings revival to God's people. And I was reminded of um, Rich Mullins' song, uh, The Creed, where he sings, and I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, and it's not the invention of any man. And when we come with that attitude, these are, this is the very truth of God. I'm not making it. It's making me. It's shaping me. And sometimes I think if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm honest with myself, we lose that sense of awe and worship and reverence and attentiveness. We do. We do at church and we do at home. But in times of revival, I think, like this one, God's word is elevated again in our lives. And God speaks. And we are sensitive and receptive to his voice. And his words have a potency and an efficacy that touches us deeply and moves us powerfully. And sometimes, like these people, it will make us weep. And it will make us sorrowful. And at other times, it will fill us with great joy. But it will not leave us unmoved or untouched or unchanged. And we need to rediscover that. And we, like these people, need to say, Amen, Amen, Amen. So the third thing that I see here in this passage is, is to get help to understand it. They didn't necessarily fully understand what Ezra was reading. And the words that are used here to translate, the people translate, the, the, the scribes and the priests translated it for them. It may have been language difficulties. These were exiles who'd grown up in Babylon. They'd grown up somewhere else. Maybe they were struggling to understand the Hebrew or the Aramaic, or, 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 but also just to understand the concepts of what was being read to them. We, we read in uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, the Levites, and um, all these unpronounceable names, they, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. They had to understand it, and that's what preaching and teaching is, is for. That's what our community groups are for, where we come together in our homes in the week. We take the passage of Scripture and we say, how are we going to apply this to our daily lives? And we talk around it and we understand it together. Of course, there are many good study aids today to help us. If you've never looked at them, look at the Bible Project overviews of the books of the Bible, which are illustrated, cartoon-like, overviews. If you look at Bible Project, you could look at the book of Nehemiah. They will give you a full sweep of what's in the book of Nehemiah and explain it, explain its meaning to you. There's some great commentaries, great study aids, but sometimes all of us, we need help to understand the word of God. And that's what the teachers of the law were doing. They were translating for them, explaining to them, this is what it means. This is what we're to do. They even had to calm the people because they were strangely moved. They were weeping, perhaps at the loss of some of the, the truths that were being read to them. Ezra was reading to them about the, the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Feast of the, the Feast of the Booths and this ancient practice that the people of Israel had to remind them of when they came out of Egypt and they lived in, in makeshift tents in the wilderness and they had no homes, and they had no territory, and through that precarious time of their life, God guided them and protected them and looked after them. And then they set up this 
annual feast, the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles, where they would build makeshift homes and they'd live in them for a week to remind themselves of that time in the wilderness, of that time of precariousness and that time that God helped them and brought them through the wilderness. Now we have also, of course, the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the Bible. And when we come to read it or listen to it, we can say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand God's words. And the Spirit of God makes things known to us, helps us to understand what God is saying to us. And then there's the gift of teaching and preaching to the church, which is given to help us understand God's word. And then in verses 9 to 12, we read, Then Nehemiah the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to, to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people and said, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Don't grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They now understood. And with that understanding came great joy. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9, the commandments of the Lord are right and they bring joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear. They give insight for living. When we understand God's word, it brings joy to our lives. And because the people understood it, it just brought great joy to them. That's what the psalm says, that the, that the entrance of God's word into our lives will bring us great joy. When I discovered your words, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, I devoured them and they are my joy and my heart's delight. And of course, we have that angelic proclamation in Luke chapter 2 um, that we read every Christmas time. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Another thing that they did here, as, as well as they, they, they read it and they were attentive and they were worshipful in their reception of it and they got help to understand it, um, but they also studied it. We read in uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 8, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They studied. Some of the people came aside. They studied God's word in greater depth. And they discovered hidden treasures and forgotten truths and instructions of life. And last year we ran, or a couple of years ago now, we ran the course Cafe Theology, where we started to look a little bit more in depth at some of the doctrines of our faith. And I'm sure that we will do more of those in the future. And we'll study in our community groups and we've studied with our online resources. And there are times where we need to come aside to study God's word, to understand it in greater depth. And then finally, they, what we see in the way the people of God handled the word of God and its centrality 
is they responded to it and they obeyed it. So in verse 14, we, we find that they found written in the law. They rediscovered this ancient pattern of the, the Feast of the Booths. They, they found written in the law. And then in verse 16, we read, so the people went out and they went out to gather wood and they went out to gather branches and they went and built their booths and lived in them for this Feast of the Tabernacles. They heard the word of God, they understood what it said and they went and did it immediately. So the people went. Ezra explained it to them. The priest and the scribe said, this is what it means. This is what you're supposed to do according to God's word. So the people went out. And then in verse 17, we read, they had great joy. You find that phrase three times in this passage. Great joy when they obeyed God's word. I'm going to read you uh, this passage from James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And this bit's important for all of us. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We will get to that place of great joy. We'll get to that place of revival. We will get to that place of rediscovery of God's word and an obedience to it. And the festival of the tabernacles. It's a strange festival in some ways as they all tent, get into tents for the week, make their own little makeshift homes. But they are reminding themselves, they're reminding themselves in a physical way that God brought them out of Egypt. And God kept them safe in the wilderness, in their makeshift homes, as things were so dangerous for them. And they reconnect with this God that did all of this for them, this faithful God, their provider, their sustainer, their protector. And we need to remind ourselves of what God has done. And we need to reconnect with him, the living word, the giver of joy, the saviour of our soul and the protector of our lives. I was out kayaking last weekend on the Sound. I went out for a few hours on my kayak. And as I'm paddling away, I am reminded of the hymn, Amazing Grace. And I'm watching these waves. At one point, it wasn't very, it wasn't very uh, turbulent, but a big boat came by and I got caught in the wash and I saw this big wave coming towards me from this boat. I think they were snickering as they, as they went past. I was watching this wave coming towards me thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> and then I was reminded of that line in Amazing Grace and it's this, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. 
And I started to sing that to myself as I kayaked around Plymouth Sound. I've come through many dangers, toils, and snares. And it's grace that got me this far. And it's grace that will bring us home. And the people of God, as they gathered and they built booths and tabernacles, they reminded themselves, look what God did in the past. And he'll do it again in the future. Look how faithful God has been to us. Look how good and how he protected us through the times of wilderness and through the times of danger. And so they reminded themselves and they worshipped God. The word of God was preached and revival broke out and the great joy filled their hearts as they obeyed what God's word said to them. And my prayer for us this morning as God's people is may God revive our hearts. (laughs) May God fill us with inexpressible joy. May God remind us of what he's done. And what he is yet to do. And may we as God's people say amen and amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we read this ancient story we remind ourselves that the walls and the gates, they were not an end in themselves. They were a means to an end. And as we read here in chapter 8, that starts to come into play. The people of God gather. They worship. The word of God is revived. A community is built. The word is proclaimed. They remember the faithfulness of God. And restoration takes place. And as we look back through history, God, we see these moves of God, whether it's the Reformation or whether it's the Wesley Brothers or whether it's John Knox or Wycliffe, whether it's the Welsh Revivals or others, always the word of God is preached and proclaimed and people's hearts are touched and moved. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would revive us. We pray, Lord, that we too would contend as one person for the faith of the gospel. We pray, God, that you would take these burned, damaged stones and cause them as living stones to be built together as a place where God lives and God dwells. And we remind ourselves, Jesus, that you are the very cornerstone of this building, that you who said... You will destroy this temple, but it will be rebuilt in three days. You, the resurrected Christ, are the cornerstone of our lives. You are the the one that we build around. And God, we coalesce around you, around Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would move by your Holy Spirit amongst us. And perhaps, Lord, where there are times of weeping and mourning, that we as God's people, as God's priests would calm the people and say, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) Find your joy and your strength in him. He is what you need. And so we pray, God, that you would revive us as your people, that you would move by your spirit, that, Lord, we would gather around your word, the word of God, Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, move afresh 
amongst us. And we, Lord, we say amen and amen. Do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.